1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? Lord, this is your word, and as we open it, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, minister to us and help us not to resist it, Lord. Help us to take in what you want us to take in, God. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all have a seat. Um, so, when it comes to Christmas time, uh, in case you're wondering, we're actually in a Christmas series, but we're still in the book of Corinthians. It's not Luke chapter 2. <laughs> it's not the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew. It's 1 Corinthians. And you're probably uh, thinking, well, this doesn't say anything about Jesus' birth. I know, but it's God's word. And everything in God's word, guess who it points to? Jesus. So, but there are some Christmas expectations, right? So, Jesus in a manger, right? The nativity scene. You expect to be driving around town and, and seeing the nativity scene set up in people's yards and stuff. The Christmas tree, it's one of those expectations. You've got to have a Christmas tree. Uh, question, how many of you have a real tree? Anybody have a real tree? Fake tree. Fake tree people. Yes. Okay. Me too. Um, the smell of pine, right? For those of you that have a, a real tree, maybe it's not a pine tree. Maybe it's a, help me out. Spruce. Spruce. What is it? Uh, yeah, that too. Um, lights. Lights, of course. We, we, we want to see all these things. Last but not least, one of my new Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Christmas expectations is Cliff's hot cocoa, right? At some point in this Christmas season, uh, Cliff will make us hot cocoa. Don't worry. Just because we have Rosie's hot chocolate coming doesn't mean we're going to miss out on Cliff's. Some of you are like, who's Cliff and why do we care about his hot cocoa? Uh, it's okay. Just you wait. But we like our stuff in certain compartments of our life, right? Like, if we saw a Christmas tree or the nativity set in July, we'd probably scream. Like, why do you still have a nativity scene in your front yard? It's July, right? Uh, we, we like things in their proper place, so to speak. And the expectation when it comes to church at Christmas time is this. Give me the baby Jesus story, Right? Give me the baby Jesus story. Let's hit up Luke chapter 2. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll touch a little bit on, on the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew. And when Christmas is done, we'll get back to the more important stuff. Here's a fact. Without the cradle, we have no cross. We need to focus on the incarnation of the Son of God, not just during Christmas time, but every season of our lives. See, without the cross of Christ, without the cradle of Christ, you and I are hopeless. The cradle of Christ is equally important as the cross of Christ. The incarnation of the Son of God is equally as important as the sacrifice of the Son of God. Here's our problem, though. We come to this Christmas season and we look forward to the day we celebrate our Savior's birth. Yes, praise the Lord. But we focus on Jesus just for this small little season, right? 
and then we move on with our lives. I mean, you go to malls and you go to the grocery store and you hear these Christmas songs that are spot on with who Jesus is and how he came. They're still singing it, surprisingly, in, in secular places. But listen, the world moves on from Jesus. The church should never move on from Jesus. We need to stay on Jesus, just like we sang, the rock of ages. That is your foundation. That is my foundation. Now, uh, I think it was Cliff asked me if we needed help putting things away. And um, no, we don't need help because uh, that's just how we are. We have boxes for everything in our lives. The Christmas box, for example, right? Okay? The Christmas box, uh, if, if you're really organized, you probably have all your boxes in your garage labeled. I don't. Uh, but we, we have our Christmas box. We pull it out, we pull our lights out, we pull this, that, and the other out. And, 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 and then we find in it, we find in it that, oh, look, I forgot about, I forgot about this. Jesus is in there. Je- Jesus is in there. Jesus is in Christmas. Oh, yeah, it's a no, no-brainer. And we take the stuff out, we put up the lights, we get everything ready, and we listen to Christmas music starting in um, too early. Yeah. And then we're like, yes, okay, I got Jesus hanging up, Jesus is all around, and then, and then Easter comes around, right? So we go into our garage again, and we pull out our nicely organized box, and, and we pull out our, our stuff that involves Easter, right? I mean, Easter is all about Jesus being crucified, right? That, that's, that's why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because Jesus died on the cross for us. He rose again from the grave, right? And we pull out Jesus. We're like, yeah, Jesus in, is in Christmas and Easter. Like, he, that's, that's where he is. But let me ask you a question. What about everything else in our lives? Sometimes it just stays with Christmas and Easter. Sometimes it just, we just focus on Jesus for these seasons because that's where Jesus belongs. But can I tell you this? Jesus belongs in the box called and everything else. Not just in these two things, but every part of your life. Because when we get to the box of everything else, oftentimes we're pulling everything else out but Jesus. We're not pulling him out because we've kept him in those compartments of our life. But let me encourage you with this, that Jesus belongs in every single part of your life. Not just Christmas and Easter, because guess what? Jesus wants to be in this box, too. So, now I need help moving it, Cliff. No. The point is this. Jesus belongs in every aspect of our lives. It's all about Christ. Christmas, Easter, every part of our lives is about Jesus It's all about his birth, his death, his resurrection, his coming again. It's all about Jesus. If you take anything away from this message, may it be that. It's all about Jesus. So why do I bring this up? Because some of you may be thinking, well, surely at some point he's going to be busting out Luke chapter 2, the wise men. I love that story. I do too. And we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that. But for the most part, we're going to see how the truth of Christ's birth is seen through 1 Corinthians. Because th- this is the truth. All of Scripture points to Christ. 
Luke 24, 27, Jesus walking with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, in beginning with Moses. Now, where was Moses in the Bible? He was in the very beginning. And Jesus starts with Moses, and he says, in all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. You know what the Greek word for all is? What it means? All. All means all. And when you come to the all, all in a Bible, it means all. All means all. And Jesus says all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Guess who it is written about? Jesus. In all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus told the guys on the road to Emmaus that from the beginning to end, the Bible is all about him. So here's where we're going with this message, the breakdown, if you will. We'll look at the context, but then we'll also look into how did Jesus enter this world, specifically his birthplace. See, Jesus's birth was supernatural. Uh, it, it, it was profound, yet it was simple. It was the arrival of the newborn king. Verse one through, uh, excuse me, verse one and then four through five, Paul says in First Corinthians, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come Proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And my speech, verse 4, and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the context is this. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of his approach, how he first came to them. He did not come with a big vocabulary or uh, an entourage like, oh, here comes the, the, the St. Paul. Here, here comes the, the great theologian himself. No, Paul came in simplicity. When I first heard the gospel, I remember uh, the pastor I heard, Garrett Beeler, he didn't use these huge words. Uh, when I first heard the gospel, it was very simple, very uh, attainable. He put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Right? And I think as believers, we need to understand this, that the unbelievers in our lives are not going to understand our language. You can't go up to an unbeliever and ask him, hey, are you sanctified? Are you redeemed? Or do you know the propitiation? Do you know the justification? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Those words will come up, but, but relating to an unbeliever is not coming with your theological words. It's coming in simplicity. And God uses that simplicity. 1 Corinthians 9.22, it says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. See, Paul came with relatability without watering down the gospel. See, there is too much relatability with watering down the gospel. Uh, many churches, uh, they put the gospel on the back burner. Let's just fill the seats. Let's... Let's do this. Let's, let's make these lights pop out of the sky. Let's add the fog machine. Let's have our worship leaders come down from a raft. And No. You cannot afford to water down the gospel. That is where the power is in. If we strip all of this away, if we strip the lights away, if we strip the live stream away, if we strip the, the speakers away, so... The power is not in what we have in here. We can meet outside. And guess what? The gospel still has power. See, Paul knew that those who were perishing 
a lot of this did not make sense. You remember the culture was very, uh, uh, it was a very pagan culture. They worshipped idols. They, they worshipped Aphrodite, who was the, the goddess of, uh, of sex, and that's who they worshipped. And so when Paul comes on the scene, they're not already thinking, like, oh yeah, I, I know what that word means. They, they probably have no clue. But Paul says, I came in simplicity. But then he says something straight to the point. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, he desired for this group of believers to have their faith in the power of God, not his wisdom, not in his words, not in his crafty speech or his lofty speech. Listen, if your faith rests in the wisdom of a preacher or pastor, your faith is in the wrong place. The preacher's job is to point you to the power of God. The preacher's job is not to uh, promote his seminary schooling or, or his dissertation when it came to schooling. The preacher's job, the pastor's job, the Christian's job is to point people to the power of God which is found in the gospel. May your faith and may my faith this morning rest in the power of God. Not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul came in simplicity. He said, I didn't come with fancy words or eloquence or this, that, or the other. I didn't come with a whole uh, group behind me. I, I, I came in simplicity. How did Jesus come to us? In simplicity. See, God made it very simple. Now, if you and I were God, uh, the question is, how would you plan the human birth of your son? I mean, the savior of the world. Here's how I would do it. I would pick the best city in the world, the most extravagant, the most sophisticated city in the world. I would write in the sky, right? And it would stay there for nine months, right? The king is coming, make way, right? And then for the gender reveal, oh man, it would be epic. I would paint everything blue and gold and I'd have you know, those blue bombs, whatever they have. Anyways. But I wouldn't make it simple. I would make it extravagant. Like, this is the Son of God. Like, i got to blow this thing up. But the place that Jesus was born was simple. God's ways are much different than ours. The place where Jesus would be born, uh, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, is Bethlehem, right? Micah 5.2, it was prophesied, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come from one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Bethlehem, right? It was well known for the hometown of King who? King David. Right, uh, Israel's greatest king, but it was never an influential city or a great city. And many Jews, as they listened to this prophecy, held on to this prophecy. And we, we see that in Matthew 2, 1 and, and, and 3 through 5. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, prophecy fulfilled. 
In the days of Herod the king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem, right? In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. They believed that what Micah prophesied in Micah 5-2, that was it. They believed it. This simple little city would be the host of the Savior of the world. Did you notice how Micah says that it's too little? Too, too little. It was not even counted among the tribes of Judah, and there were 46 tribes in Judah. And this little town was not counted among them. He says, you're too little to be counted among the clans of Judah. This insignificant, tiny little city. So why Bethlehem? I believe to show men that their faith, faith and faith <laughs> must not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Only God could choose this too little of a city to bring his son into. Only God could do that. 1 Corinthians 2.5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Whenever God chooses to use an individual, listen, it is not because of what they offer or can offer. It is because of what he can do through that individual who is willing to be used by God. Bethlehem became known because of what God was about to do through this too little city. And there's a biblical principle here for us this morning that we must hold on to. Matthew 23, verse 12. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You notice how Paul came to the Corinthians. It was in a humble way. He came in fear and trembling and weakness. Paul could have come with his theology guns ablazing. Like, okay, here comes the big dog. Like, I'm coming in and you're going to get pounded with theology. No, it says he came in weakness. He was with them in weakness and fear to ultimately point to the power of God. 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. It's a biblical principle that we must apply to our lives. Humble ourselves. Amid the giant cities, right? These other clans of Judah, who are ultimately raising their hands to be called on by God. I can only imagine if the scene was like a classroom. The, the biggest kids in the class were, pick me, pick me, I'll be the place where Jesus is born. And God overlooked all of these big cities just to look at this little, tiny city. God had his eye on the city of Bethlehem, who rather than having a hand up, had a head down. And maybe you're a Bethlehem today. You've been overlooked, you've been dismissed because your looks, your size, your intelligence, your upbringing, your past, your current, situa- your current situation, your criminal record, your abortions, you fill in the blank. You've been overlooked because of these things that you've done. Listen, God sees you where you're at. That's an amen. That's good news. See, you've been trampled upon, you've been abused, you've been mistreated, but God uses the ones who recognize they have nothing to offer. Only a life that can be used for a greater purpose by a great God. See, only God can turn the simple things in our lives into great things for him. The place where Jesus was born didn't become great until prophecy was fulfilled. 
So before you overlook the simple things in life, remember God uses the simple things to display his power. Point number two, don't despise the day of small things, or don't despise the day of simple things. Zechariah 4.10, it says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The context of this verse is the children of Israel had just come out of exile, right? They were laying the foundation for their new temple because the old temple was destroyed, but there was this mixture of happiness and, and lamenting within the city. The older were wailing over the fact that their temple was destroyed. They had seen the old temple in its glory, but the new, the new Folks, the younger folks, grew up in exile. They didn't know what the older temple looked like. And so they were rejoicing that a new temple was going to be built. And Zechariah addresses the attitudes of lament. He says, don't despise the day of small things. See, 40,000 people returned from exile to a God-forsaken land, embarking on a building project building this new temple. And what could be smaller than this? What could be smaller than this building project? I don't know. How about a king being born in a manger amid the stench and filth of animals? That's a small thing. But may we not despise it. May we remember that God is in the small things, just like he was in the place where Jesus was born. How about the, the same baby growing into a man, teaching and preaching the message of the kingdom, being poor, homeless, and wretched? How about the crucifixion? To the, uh, the people standing by, it was just another crucified criminal. These things may be small to some, but small things add up, and small things are ordained by a very big God. So here's the takeaway. God works in the small and despised things of life, like Bethlehem. And instead of becoming discouraged with the small things of life, may we rejoice at the fact that God uses the small things in life. May we rejoice in the fact that God has a plan for the small things of life. We are the small thing of life, and God uses small things. Don't despise the small things of prayer by means of which God changes people's hearts. Don't despise the small things of service in a local church by which God is glorified and people encouraged. Don't despise the small things of working in the seemingly insignificant places like children's ministry by which you reflect Christ's love and compassion. Don't despise the small things like daily Bible reading by which your heart is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise the small things of daily obedience and sacrifice through which your heart is trained and molded after the Savior. Don't despise the small things of putting sin to death by which you are responding to the victory Christ has won for you. And don't despise the small things like church plants. It is by such things that God depopulates hell through the preaching of the gospel. Don't despise the small things of our Savior becoming a baby through which he became a man to be crucified for your sins and mine. Don't despise the day of small things.
So Christmas points us to simplicity, but it also points us to small things. We look at Jesus as, as a baby, but this baby would grow up to save us. Christmas points us to the despised things, for in these the power of God is made known. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you ultimately came in simplicity. The way you came was astounding, Lord. It was supernatural. God, through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you brought Jesus into Mary's womb. God, and as, as you sent your son into the world, this small baby grew up and was crucified for us. For so many, it's a small thing, but God, we see your power displayed in it, demonstrated through it, God, and we praise you for that. And I pray for those in here that may feel like they're, they're small or despised or overlooked or, or, or even rejected. Or they, they may feel too little, just like Bethlehem was too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah. Lord, I pray that you would remind them this morning that you use the small things. God, if you could use Bethlehem to bring your son into the world, God, you can use us. And God, as you use small things like us, purpose is so that we might be a channel of your power. So Lord, help us to be emptied of anything that is not of you and to be full of the things of the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray that you would just help us to keep our focus on Jesus, not just for December, but for the rest of our lives. Lord, I commit this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and close out with a chorus. If you need prayer, um, like Diane said, we have prayer cards and a prayer box that you can slip a prayer request uh, card into. And, and uh, there's anybody with a badge on that says here to serve. We would love to pray over you as well. Uh, but um, as we continue to move forward in this Christmas season, remember Jesus and lean in to Jesus. Amen.
Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.